What is the most valuable gift someone's ever given you? Maybe monetarily valuable or like sentimentally valuable. It's a hard question, isn't it? Like, what's the most valuable thing you've ever received? Maybe not. Um, I racked my brain a little bit this week. I came up with the thing that jumped in my mind the quickest was this. It was a few years before my grandmother passed away. We had a couple of special moments together. I was visiting at her house and she had me sit down on the couch in the living room and she went back into her bedroom and she started rifling through all these old boxes in this closet, which in my memories of my grandmother, that's mostly what she did was like dig through old boxes in the closet. That's one of her favorite pastimes. Must have been fun. But she, she, was, and she comes out and she's got this little gold pocket watch and she walks and she hands it to me and I'm kind of turning it over in my hand. It's beautiful, it's decorative, it's got some, uh, it's like engraving on it, obviously very old. She also has this photograph and she hands it to me and the photograph is, is old, it's black and white and it's obviously very aged and it's a picture of like an old farmhouse and really small because the picture was like of the house but really small standing in front of the front porch was, was a lady, a woman and at her you know, hip was a little toddler and she said, this is a picture of your great-great-grandmother. And that toddler is your great-grandmother. I'm like, wow, this is a really cool picture. I'd never seen it before. And she goes, and that watch belonged to your great-great-grandmother. And I want you to have it. And I'm just like, I mean, speechless. It's, 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 it's a priceless family heirloom. It's just whatever. And, I'm, and we wound it up. It still worked. I mean, we just don't make stuff like that anymore. Like, throw it away. Get a new one on Amazon. But like, this thing's still working. And so it was, it was a beautiful like moment with my grandma. She told me stories about my great-great-great-grandmother from what she could remember because she would have been really old when my grandmother was a little girl. And uh, it was cool. And, it's, and so I took it home. And um, I want to know all about this watch. I called my dad, let him know, because it would have been his... It was in his family line and uh, let him know and we're excited about this thing and, and uh, looked it up online from what I could tell and like, what is this? I wanna know what it is. Like, where was it made? Like, when was it made? Are there others like it? And uh, I learned that you could actually gently pop the back of it off and you can see the inner workings and that was really cool. And there was like a serial number and you could look up the serial number and learn more about it. And that was really cool and I'm researching it and I'm thinking like, I wonder how much this would go for on eBay. No, I didn't really think that. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I'm just pumped about it and I'm imagining like, I'm gonna put this in a box, like a, a framed case in my house and I'm gonna, you know, maybe I'm picturing giving it to my kids one day or, or my grandkids maybe. And, and then I go to pop the back back onto it and as it clicked into place, the front face of the watch just shattered. Like ancient pixie dust, just and I'm just, you know that, have you ever done something really stupid? Probably not, but I have a few times. And I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> like what? It's broken. And so, um, you know, don't give, me, don't give me valuable things. I guess that's the lesson this morning. We can all go home. No, I'm, I'm just crushed by it. I called my dad up to let him know, like, man, this, this stinks. And so we start tag teaming it for a little while. Good news, good news, he's found a jeweler who thinks that they can find a replacement face. So that's pretty cool. And so I've decided I still wanna put it in the display case. I still wanna maybe pass it down, but I wanna put a little post-it note on the back. It's like, be very careful, this will break. Trust me. Uh, what is the most valuable thing that someone's ever entrusted you with or given you as a gift? I start that way this morning because, uh, you know, I think we get entrusted with a lot of things. We're given a lot of things. Maybe you felt the way that I did when I first became a parent and I left the hospital. Are you guys feeling this? You're on number two, I know, but like you leave the hospital and you've got that little baby in the back seat. And I remember pulling off going like, 
they're just going to let me leave with him? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And look at my wife, like, do you? No. And so, and if you've met my children, you know that we have no clue what's going on. And, you know, it's valuable. You're like, what do I do with this human being? Or maybe you've been given the gift of a, a promotion at work. And, and sometimes it's giving these gifts are like very good. Sometimes it's, it's a burden. Sometimes it's a lot of work. There's a learning curve. But these big things in our life, they change us and, they, and, and they're important to us. And I start out this morning that way because we're in this series called Sacred, Living a Set-Apart Life. And the whole idea of this series is when we are seeking to honor God with our life, really what that calling is, is that we begin to set ourselves apart, like live differently, be different, uh, act different, make different choices. And the good news is that God gives us this priceless gift. And there's a lot of gifts that God gives us, the breath in our lungs and the things that we have. But there's a gift that we're going to talk about this morning that it is a gift that he entrusts to us. He gives us. It's not a burden. We can't break it. And it aids us. It helps us. It assists us in becoming that set apart person a sacred person, someone who can look, we can look at our life and go, I'm doing my best to honor God with what I've got. And so we've got, um, you know, we're, we're in week three of this. I was pumped to have Aaron come and share it last week and, uh, and, and continue the teaching. But the idea is like we're following the, the trace of God's like holy presence throughout the Bible. And so we're using this word sacred and holy a little bit interchangeably. There is a slight difference between the two ideas, but the idea is if something is holy, if something is sacred, it is set apart for the purpose of God. It is useful for the purpose of God. God has kind of uh, sanctified it in such a way that it can be used for his glory. And today, as we pick up, the idea of being sacred is that our God, our, our goal is to be a set-apart people. Last week, what Aaron was talked about was like, that's not easy. It's not easy to be set-apart. There's so many angles pulling us different directions, going, you should be like this, you should be like that. We get distracted and we want to be certain ways and God knows, says, you, you need to be a set-apart person. And this isn't about being legalistic. This isn't about being super pious. It's not about being overly religious. It's not about being judgmental against other people. It's about saying, man, God is good. Whew, and I want to honor him. That's it. And so therefore, I'm going to do my best to live a life that is set apart. To get there, we're gonna be looking in the Bible today in the book of Romans. If you got a Bible, crack it open. Romans is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, we've got free Bibles we give away every week. They're on this gray shelf by the door over here. Look it up on your phone. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. But in the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul is the author there, and he is writing to a church in the first century. So this is 2,000 years ago, and he is... We did a teaching series through the book of Romans uh, last year. If you didn't catch the teaching series through the book of Romans, go check it out on our podcast. We went through the whole book. The book of Romans, we called it the gears of the gospel because the idea of the book of Romans is like, if you want to understand how Christianity works, Romans is good for that. Why do we need Jesus? What does it do in our life? How does it make us different? How do we live that Christian life? The book of Romans talks about that. And we're gonna pick up in chapter eight where Paul is kind of talking about this transformation that happens in a person when they choose to live for Jesus. And you hear people's testimony and you hear like, we've had people come on stage and we've shown videos and hopefully you've had the opportunity to speak to someone who has chosen to live for Jesus. And it's amazing because there's always this dichotomy. There's like, this is who I was before Jesus. This is who I am now. 
And what happens in that middle space is beautiful. God moves in and he begins to sanctify us. He begins to kind of make us set apart. We get his forgiveness, we get his grace all in one fell swoop, you're in, I love you. But I don't wanna leave you the way you are. I wanna create in you a, a new heart. I wanna make you a new person, a different person. So that's where Paul is in Romans chapter eight and he's letting us know that there's a dilemma. And it's a dilemma that you all know about. If you've ever seen an old Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know the shoulder angel and the shoulder devil, you know? And like someone's trying to make a decision, it's like, I can't decide. And you look at the version of you with a halo and then there's the version of you with like the pitchfork and you're like going back and forth and I can't decide. There's this dilemma. So here in Romans eight, Paul talks about that dilemma and he lets us know that God has given us a gift, a priceless heirloom, a hand down from God that helps us to make the right decision and experience that transformation. So we're just gonna read the first verse. It's Romans chapter eight, we're in verse eight. We're gonna read this first verse and then we'll keep going after a little bit of talk. Romans 8, eight, listen to this. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, period. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now. Right there's our dilemma, okay? And, and you don't even have to know what he's talking about for it to make you kind of want to sit up on the edge of your seat and be like, what do you mean? I think in general, people want to please God. Anyone who believes that there is a God is like, I think it's probably a good idea to please him, either because you don't want to get struck by lightning, because that's kind of one worldview, or because you're like, I want to honor him. But those who live in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And let me tell you why this is a dilemma. Ready for this? I am flesh. <laughs> and if I live in the realm of the flesh, but by doing so cannot please God, that seems like a problem. We like our flesh. Uh, we spend a lot of money and a lot of time going to the doctor and taking vitamin supplements and avoiding the coronavirus because it's gonna kill us all. And, <laughs> and, and, we, and, we, and, we, and we eat all this stuff. And we're like, Cause you, why? Because I'm like, I am, I gotta take care of my flesh. I gotta take care of it. And so God's saying I can't please him in the flesh? I'm gonna exercise, that's gotta please him. So what does that mean? I, obviously, I hope it's obvious. I mean, it doesn't mean that be, by being human, you can't please God, because he created us human. He actually made flesh. Actually, he put on flesh one time. So it's not the flesh and bones that is bad. This phrase, there's been so much commentary written on it, so much debate over history, and I wanna try to simplify it, and I think it can be simplified almost this much. It's not that being human is sinful, it's this. If you're being controlled by your flesh, if you are a slave to your fleshly desires, earlier in this passage he says, if you are governed by the flesh, if you are being controlled by your flesh, you can't please God. Ah, that clarifies it a little bit. Because the one thing God wants in our life is authority. He wants us to submit. And if instead I'm submitting to all my fleshly desires, the things that makes me feel good and look good and whatever, if that's my God, I can't please God. Understand that? So that's why that first sentence, I wanna lean into it a little bit. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, but there's another realm. There's another realm, it's actually deeper, uh, deeper than that. In verse nine it says, you however, now he's talking to a group of Christians. And by and large, I, I know that most of us in this room are like, yes, I identify as a Christian, I wanna live as a Christian, so he's talking to us. If you're in the room this morning, you're like, I'm just checking it out, I'm just, uh, curious. It's okay. We want this to be a safe place for anyone to explore their faith journey. And this is a good day for you to kind of know what a Christian believes. But in verse nine, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, 
they do not belong to God. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. I talked earlier about a gift that God gives us that helps us seek this sacred life, this set apart life. And he talked about it several times in that passage. And the word that sprung up over and over again was the word spirit. The word, the thing, the gift that God gives us, the person that God gives us is his Holy Spirit. And uh, first of all, let me just take a second to talk about what is the Holy Spirit? Uh, We've done a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's something that's huge throughout scripture. We see him work. First of all, the Holy Spirit's not an it. Uh, It's easy to be like, it led me. The Holy Spirit is like, is an entity. We say he, not because he's a masculine, he's boy, but because he's an entity. He's a personality the Holy Spirit, and the, the bigger overarching understanding of who the Holy Spirit is probably goes down to when we discuss God, we discuss him academically sometimes, which is probably not the best way to discuss God, but as humans, it's nice for us to be able to kind of categorize and put things in pockets and understand, and so um, there's a word we use to describe God. We understand that God kind of presents himself, manifests himself to the world in three ways, and we call these three ways the Trinity, Now, uh, that's an academic, that's a scholar's word. You won't find the Trinity in the Bible. You can look it up, Google it, go ahead. Uh, The Trinity is not in the Bible. Not that the Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible, but the word Trinity is not a Bible word, but it's it's an understanding that we glean from reading the Bible because there's kind of three major ways that God presents himself to us. And so it's okay to call it Trinity. I'm fine with that. The first way that we know about is like God the Father. God the Father, this is the creator God. This is the person you pray to. This is, when you think about God, he's like the big G, capital God, God. This is, this is God, God the Father. And everything else kind of uh, you know, stems out from that. That's God the Father. The second entity that we think of, and they're all one, but is God the Son. And that's a little bit confusing, but the idea is, is relatively simple, except that it's like super deep, is that God chose to become human. And that's the story of Jesus coming into the world. And he, he was God putting on flesh, allowing his fullness to dwell within that flesh, but also allowing himself to be physical, to stub his toe, to get a splinter, to be tired, to grow up, eventually to die. And the story of Jesus is that he gave his life. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life on a cross. He dies and then he raises from the dead by his own power because he's also God, and we're actually gonna learn that the third uh, manifestation of God is very active in that resurrection, and that third idea is the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is the, the physical representation of God, like this is the, the part of God that really can relate to our physicalness, the Holy Spirit is the spiritual manifestation of God. And whereas we look at Jesus for like, how did he manage the physical world? The Holy Spirit interacts with our soul. Um, and so, again, it's, it's, it's super deep. That's why I don't know that studying God academically is the best way to encounter him, but it is a way to give us some categories and some ways of kind of talking about him because what God wants to do with us is mingle with our soul. That's the part of us he loves the most. That's the part of us he wants to preserve. That's the part of us he's concerned about when it comes to things like sin and morality and, and even culture because our soul is really who we are. 
And now, if a lot of this or any of this is new to you, stick around with us. We talk about this stuff all the time, especially the Jesus part. We want to, we want to know what that's all about. Um, but all three of these descriptions of God kind of exist all throughout the Bible. It's not like they just showed up when Jesus showed up. We see uh, mentions of manifestations throughout the Old Testament that people say that might have been Jesus. We don't know. But we do know the Holy Spirit was, is mentioned in the first two verses of the Bible. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the classic creation story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and who was there? The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Holy Spirit isn't an invention of the church. It's not some new thing that Jesus brought around. It's just God. And all three of them are fully God. It's not like the old cereal toys, you know, collect all five and get all the whole set. Like you don't collect all three and then you understand God. There's just God But he understands that we need to be related to in different ways, physically, spiritually, authoritatively. Is that a right word? I made that word up. Authoritatively. Write that down. All right. However, after Jesus came to earth, the Holy Spirit takes on a new role with believers. And that's what we pick up back where we were in Romans chapter 8. This dilemma of wanting to live in the flesh, but needing to live in the spirit And Paul says, listen, God gave you the spirit if you put your trust in Jesus. Also, I wanna notice this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Christ. Sometimes it's called the spirit of God. Sometimes it's called the spirit, one spirit, same spirit. And and if you kind of start to see God is one, which is like one of the biggest tenets of Jewish theology is that God is one. Um, It's all the same spirit. Okay, so we pick up verse nine. He says, listen, but you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the spirit. I know we already read this, but I want, now that we have that background. If indeed the spirit of God is in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It is key that we understand the role of the spirit. But if Christ is in you, then, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, even though the flesh is a dilemma, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, when Jesus was trying to explain this to his disciples, One thing he said was, all right, boys, I've been here long enough. I'm about to do what I came here to do. And I'm going to give my life, I'm gonna die, and then I'm gonna go away. And the disciples said, no, 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 you can't leave. And you can understand that maybe if you have a best friend or a leader who's really just guiding you, like, wait, 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 we we need you. What are we gonna do without you? If you've ever uh, tried to get a four-year-old to leave the park, um, you know, they're playing, having a good old time. You understand it because all my friends are here and I don't wanna leave and this is the best thing I've ever experienced in my life until the next thing. And this is kind of where the disciples are with Jesus. They're like, I can't imagine life without you here, Jesus. And and, 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 in the book of John, Jesus kind of is addressing this idea of like, It's not best for me to be here forever because there's something better. In John 16, verse seven, he says, but truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If you keep reading through John 16, you understand Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. See, this transition begins to happen. Jesus comes to earth in the flesh. God makes himself known to us. And then he says, no, but it gets better than this. You don't just get to see me in my physical form. No, 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 no. I'm gonna come to you through my spirit and interact with your soul. And I'm gonna begin to transform you. Don't leave us, Jesus. Oh man, you think you don't want me to go. 
But what's coming after this is even better than what you've had so far. And it was hard for them to understand at the time when he told them, I gotta go so my spirit can come to you. That's hard to understand. What does that even mean? I mean, what, I mean is it gonna feel different? Is it gonna be like chills up my spine? Like, what does it mean that I must go so the advocate will come, but time passes and Jesus' words come true and his life is given on the cross and he dies and then by his own power, he raises from the dead and he comes back to the disciples. He says, see, I told you. I told you I'd only be gone for three days. I was gonna rebuild it in three days. And they were like, we did not see this coming. You dying and rising from the dead, that's incredible. He says, but no, it's not even done yet. And this is really cool. And we were in John 16 a minute ago, just fast forward to John 20. There's this moment, Jesus has appeared to many people. In fact, we have a record of him appearing to over 500 people, which is a really good evidence of his actually risen from the dead. But in verse 20, he's back with his closest disciples. And uh, sorry, John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And there he is again, the Holy Spirit, interacting in the story and this transition begins to take place. And at this moment, Jesus kind of inaugurates a whole new era of his interaction with mankind. And he says, my spirit is now gonna be moving among my people in a way like, I have never moved among them before. And these guys, the way that they transform after this day is incredible. They become the leaders that establish what is now the church. And their attitude changes and their ability to love people who were against them changes and their ability to, they actually do miraculous things, heal people and I mean, it's amazing things. The same things that Jesus was doing as his spirit begins to move. But Jesus wasn't like, no, it's only for you 12. He's like, no, this is for everybody. In fact, if you fast forward the story a little bit more, Jesus does ascend and goes into heaven. And then in the book of Acts, in chapter two, we see kind of the first day of church ever, okay? And so the apostles are there, specifically the apostle Peter is preaching and he's talking all about who Jesus is and how everyone needs to turn their life to God through Jesus. And the people there are like, well, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And he tells them, this is Acts chapter two, verse 38. He says, well, you need to repent and be baptized. Like, so repent is like, turn your life back to God, be baptized. This is this moment of realization where I've decided to go all in. And he says, and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ will have the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. After that, it says, this promise is for you and for your children and your grandchildren. Like anyone who turns to me will get my spirit now. This is the most valuable gift you've ever been given. If you've chosen Jesus and you have his spirit in your life, ain't nothing better than that. God's presence mingling with your soul to help you be the person that he created you to be. Before this time when people thought about entering the presence of God, they thought about the temple. We've talked the last two weeks, uh, Aaron and I both, about Moses, you know, and, and there's this idea Moses establishes this system and, and at first it's this, this giant tent called the tabernacle and there's a place in there called the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. And this is where God says, my presence is gonna be and eventually that uh, tent is, they, they eventually build a full-fledged building, brick and mortar and there's this Holy of Holies room in there and only the high priest can go in there. Only very select few people have access to the Holy of Holy places because this is where God says, this is where my presence will be. And so people would gather around the temple in Jerusalem, one single location. 
And so when these people that are hearing the first messages from the apostles are like, wait, God's spirit is gonna come into me? I, I don't have to go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God? Like I can have this in my own life? Suddenly they start to be able to become a different people. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul is talking about this idea. Now, 1 Corinthians 6 is a very mature chapter. He's talking about sexual sin. He's talking about some issues that they specifically have in Corinth, which is a city in like modern day Greece, but like it's the same issues we got today where we're all willy-nilly about our sex life and it doesn't matter because we, we're happy and we're in love. But he's like, listen, this is, a unique, this is a unique category of sin because of the way it impacts our soul and in all that context, I wanna make sure you know the context of this verse that we often quote. This verse is not about health plans and diets and lifting weights and working out. I want you to hear what this verse says. When it comes to sin, 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price and therefore honor God with your body bodies. And some people take this very strictly and very uh, far. And, and if their heart's in the right place, I think it's good. I, I have family members who are like, you know, I, they won't get tattoos and they won't eat overly fatty foods and they won't do lots of things. It's like, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm not going to mess anything. I got, I got a friend who's like, uh, my body's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to decorate it with lots of tattoos because um, I think I want to celebrate the art. Like, but the thing is, the heart of it is this. God has moved in. When Jesus comes in the book of John, it says, that, uh, it says that he became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of God. When the Holy Spirit moves in, not only does Jesus just move into the neighborhood, he moves into your life. When I was a kid, I remember uh, we had this ritual that we observed and it was that when grandma came to visit, my mom freaked out and we had to clean everything we owned twice more than necessary. And so it was like, grandma's coming. Oh, I gotta wash my sheets, you know? And we're like vacuuming stuff that hasn't been vacuumed since last time grandma came and I'm washing things that nobody's ever gonna see. And we're freaking out. Why? I'm probably over-exaggerating, but that's how I remember as a kid. But why? Because grandma's coming and what's the big deal? And we want her to be like, have a nice place to stay. And it's, I probably think of it because I think she slept in my room and probably my mom was especially concerned about how gross my room was. It's a social courtesy to clean up your house if someone comes to visit, right? It's just a social courtesy. Why? I don't know. Um, probably because we're a little bit vain and we don't want people to think we live like pigs all the time, only when you're not here. Um, but here's the thing. If I'm gonna go to that much effort for my grandma or if someone's gonna come have dinner with you, if you're gonna go to that much effort when people come to eat at your house, how much more should we begin to clean up our lives when the Holy Spirit of God moves in? It's not popular to talk about sin. We live in a progressive world where we just say, hey, you do your way, I'll do my way. I'm not the judge of you, you're not the judge of me. Whatever, okay, that is true. That is 100% true. I am not the judge of you. You are not the judge of me, but if it's a social courtesy to wash the sheets when someone's coming over to your house, how much more can we straighten up our lives when God offers to move in? And that's why it's a big deal to stop living in the realm of the flesh. Stop being so driven by what makes my body happy and instead ask myself, what can I do to honor God? And that's what this conversation about sacred, 
a set-apart life is all about. Not this unnecessary legalism, not this piety because I wanna be better than the other guy, but because God is moving in and I wanna make room and I want him to be comfortable in my life and I want him to then come in and transform me the way that only he can. We'll go back to our original phrase from Romans chapter eight and we'll look at verse 11. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus, how did Jesus raise from the dead? Well, because the spirit of God was Jesus' soul. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. You see that word, obligation? It's not optional, it's not a preference, it's an obligation, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Not only does God offer to move in, he offers to transform us. The way it's said here is he offers to give us life. In the book of Ephesians, it calls, talks about us, that before Christ we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but because of Christ we've been raised to walk in life. And what happens in us is this. As God moves in, as we make room for him, he begins to change us. The word that I love the most is transform. And, and we've talked about this a lot and we'll continue actually throughout this series. The next week is gonna be really big about that. But in Galatians chapter five, the same guy, the apostle Paul, he's talking about this idea, walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. And he says in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, he says, listen, the fruit of the spirit. So if you have like the seeds of God's spirit in your life and it begins to blossom in your life, there is fruit. The world should see it. And it says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This list of nine things is not exhaustive. There's a lot of other great things that happens in our life when the spirit moves in. But it says, against all these things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and its desires. Remember, if you're living according to the flesh, if you're governed by your flesh, you have to put that person to dead. That man, that woman has, has to be put down because a new life has to rise up in you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does it look like to be set apart? What does it like, look like to try or live a sacred life? It looks like this. When the world wants to hate, we choose to love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. When the world says, or when I, when my flesh wants to be a jerk, which is, it, it, for years, that was like the strongest thing. I just want to be, I don't, stop talking to me, ah, you know? But when, the, when my flesh tells me to be the jerk, you know what the, the spirit in me teaches me to do? Teaches me to be kind and good and gentle. This is the fruit of the spirit. And when the flesh is, the flesh is hungry for sin and, and the old man and the old woman, the Spirit brings self-control. Now, it doesn't happen on day one. Some of you are in day, year 50 of your Christian walk, and you know that there's still a daily struggle, that dilemma is still there, but you're not alone anymore. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. But we have to make room. 
God has to know like, do you want me here or not? Because I'm here. Greatest gift you could ever have. But are you going to make room and become a set-apart person? Or are you just going to kind of live on the fringe and just barely eke by and be like, you know what? Jesus is all about grace anyway, so let's grace this, Jesus. The life in the flesh is death, but the life in the spirit is life. And it's not just life. It's transformed life. It's beautiful life. It's the life that comes in and makes a big difference. Wrapping it up, let me ask a simple question. Have you got the Holy Spirit in your life? It's a good question, really good question. This isn't like a judgmental question. It's a worth asking question. And it's between you and God to start with. How do we get the Holy Spirit in our life? Well, I I shared from Acts chapter two, verse 38, that when we repent, we turn our life back to God. Also, we go through baptism and and this whole conversion process, which is not even the right word, but this idea of saying, I'm choosing this. God's promise is that he's gonna move in. Okay, so have you done that? He's moved in. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, I haven't really ever committed to that, actually. Um, Grandma was a Christian and we kind of went to church a lot, but I'm just kind of a... Not sure. First of all, I said it earlier, it's okay to be on the journey. And so maybe what you want to do is just hang around and keep learning about it, decide. But I don't want to miss an opportunity to tell you, like, you should choose. Just choose. Choose which side you want to walk on and let's do that together. And you got the rest of your life to figure out the rest of it. And the Spirit can move in and He can begin to transform you, He can begin to change you, and you can begin to live a life that's set apart and honors God. And if you do have the Holy Spirit, my encouragement is to lean in. Or as the song said, lean back. Lean back and rest in that spirit. Walk in that spirit. And do our best to make room. Get rid of the deeds of the flesh. Get rid of those things that are clearly need to be put away and gotten rid of. Let's read our whole passage again now. Romans 8, starting at verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anybody does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let's pray.